You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers. He called me up one day. He said, I've got a, a, a tape from a friend of mine, Peter Rudge, who manages The Who, and they've got a new album, and he wanted me to uh, play it for you and, and to let him know if you think there's anything to it, if it's something that would work on the radio, because I'd already been, broken a bunch of hits that year uh, in Boston. So he sent somebody, his secretary, over with this little five-inch reel of tape, and I put it on, and on came Won't Get Fooled Again. And I went... <laughs> This is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I call, Can I play this on the air now? He yeah. said, yeah, go ahead. It wasn't even out as a record. Ladies and gentlemen, and everything in between or outside of that, um, my name is Benny Goodman, and you're listening to 2020. And I'm here with, as what Siobhan has labeled me is using quite often, my cohorts in crime, Siobhan Cronin. Hello. And my dear friend, Corey Pesa. Oh, I got the dear friend this time. Oh, I'm not Switching so dear today. <laughs> You're more of a fawn. <laughs> We're going to have to come up with something for that cohorts thing. That's going to be like, what can we call our fans cohorts? <laughs> All five of them. It's like the Starset messengers. We need to start a cult following. Cohorts is probably a cool thing. Yeah. The 2020 cohorts. <laughs> so someone out there, start a fan club. It doesn't quite roll <laughs> off our, the tongue, but it's listeners. We'll keep we'll keep working on that one. Well, this this week we have actually a very, very, very talented, um, groundbreaking, um, legendary, and that's not even like overselling it, legendary DJ that kind of broke through a lot of different barriers in music in general and broke so many people from Lady Gaga to Taylor Swift to uh, you know stuff from earth wind and fire and the who and like all kinds of stuff he's well, and just an incredible entrepreneur in the in the arena of radio and television whatever audio video music and that guy is john garabedian the one the only the open house party himself yeah who came on to school us in the art of the interview it's a bit intimidating when you have a professional with uh i would refer to us at what's the uh, we can't even say the better side of ideal, like Ben says. I think we're the, the lower side of <laughs> the amateur. Lo- <laughs> the lower side of amateur. I gotta say, though, that I learned more in, in that interview about Javon than I have in a decade, but I gotta <laughs> also admit that I forgot all of it since then, so maybe I should watch this episode. <laughs> yeah, we'll be tuning in with you guys. So here it is, part one with John Garabedian. Oh man, I am not. I am not a professional radio person. I feel very intimidated uh, I know, start, yeah. starting a show like this. <laughs> Welcome, guys. Twenty twenty. You know the podcast that tries to make a very interesting year somewhat more tolerable. My name is Corey Pays. I'm here with my co-hosts Benny Goodman, who never hey. gets introduced. Hey. So how, how's that feel? Well, first off, I want to call the bullshit on you because didn't you work for wbz like as a professional radio guy for years i worked in the production department behind the scenes so i'm just saying you just 2020 our audience into thinking that you were a newbie that you were (laughs) artard you're gonna introduce siobhan ladies should be first ladies should always be first well, it's fine because I forgot to introduce both of you the other day. Right. You're a lady. I don't you're, mind you're being entitled. last this time. You know what? I, I don't subscribe to uh, the, the gender patriarchy stuff. Whatever. Anyways, Siobhan Cronin is also with us. Hey. Welcome. <laughs> and our very special guest today, someone that uh, I've yet to actually speak with, but I've heard so much about, Mr. John Garabedian. John Garabedian. Welcome. Welcome, John. And, and, and to let everyone know... I'm going to give him the, the proper uh, intro. John is a is a radio legend. He uh, 
he actually started TV uh, legend also. Uh, well, we haven't even gotten to that, Siobhan, but thank you for mentioning that. All right, that. okay. Um, but he, he uh, WBCN in Boston, which was a huge radio station, championed that. Uh, had V66, which was concurrent to MTV in the 80s, and he was doing the 24-hour live music thing, and he has his own documentary on this guy. And he just happens to be one of the best interviewers in the entire world. He has his own autobiography. I casually went to his house, and he's like, by the way, here's my Rolling Stone article uh, they wrote on me in the 70s. He does everything. He literally has been everywhere, and in <laughs> fact... Um, if there's something that could stump him, I hope that we can do it on tape so that everyone knows it actually <laughs> happened. Because if you tell him that it happened, he may argue with you. John Garabedian. Thank you, Benny. That was great. <laughs> I learned and, from the best. And now you can begin to judge us based on our interviewing skills. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, well, so I don't know what to say. What, what, what would you like to talk about? <laughs> This is your podcast. First first and foremost, John, how, how has your 2020 been? How has this year treated you? Well, like everyone else, it's had its moments of goodness and a lot of, you know, shit. I mean, we're all living in this <laughs> this horrible world where we're not supposed to see anybody. Um, I think that sounds but, great to me. I, I, I hate seeing <laughs> yeah, maybe anybody. We re- yeah, we revel in Any that. Any excuse to like, not leave my house is fantastic. <laughs> You know, the only place you can really, you have to go is besides the bathroom is the supermarket. And it's the worst place to go because everybody's there. Exactly. Um, And then you go back into your cave and you're there. And then you see these people with no masks. Or the most aggravating is these friggin' idiots with the with the mask here. Yeah. It's like you breathe through your fucking nose. What are you wearing <laughs> it down there for? It's the whole idea is the, the water vapor comes out with the virus in it. Yeah. And these people, what are they thinking? Why bother with the mask? Either wear it or don't wear it. Who are you kidding? I like so, the, the chin you know, diapers. Yeah, I was yeah. just going to say the chin diapers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then we had Thanksgiving, which was uh, you get these stupid people. They invite the whole brood over. They've got a dozen people. One of them happens to work as a you know a public something. They see people all the time. They have the virus. And then grandma, she came to Thanksgiving, but she's dying in the hospital on Christmas. I mean, it's like, oh, my God. John, uh, Numbers are, are doubled. They're crazy. You are aware that there are people in this world that still think the world, the, the earth is flat, that there were no dinosaurs, that global warming is just a facade. Like, those people exist. They're at Walmart and they're breathing with their noses over their masks. Yeah, but if the world is flat, the social distancing would have pushed half them off the edge at this point. They are yes. being pushed off the edge, Siobhan. <laughs> Well, you know what it is? I don't know how, but somehow there's a whole breed of people, and there are 74 million of them who voted for Trump. And these people, a good proportion of them, they would rather subscribe to a conspiracy theory than search out the truth. They skim the news and they get the news from one source. And of course, the news media now has split. It's not one monoculture where we're all watching you know, one network newscast every night. We're watching Fox on one side, MSNBC on the other. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, so everyone's got their favorite place to go that just feeds them the same. Not just stuff. that, but you have all the every website that can that can cater to whatever you want to believe. Well, and the social media that optimizes. Yeah, so you're what, exactly only looking what you for see. what you want to hear. So then there's nothing well, to challenge Well, so is your that. sidebar on Facebook. It's literally hearing you because John and I have experienced this. I've been at John's house, you know, obviously before all this crazy COVID stuff. And we've been talking about the most random things. I think I said Flava Flav. And the next thing up on, on like his iPad is like public enemy. And I'm like, yeah. What they're listening? They say it's what some led to kind that of conversation? Al- yeah, some kind of algorithmic uh, thing that they anticipate. No, that you can't anticipate. I'm going to say Flava Flav. If that's not something you're anticipating. You're hearing me. Someone at Google's laughing, and John's going, "Sure, hi Alexa, let me tell you more about my life." Well, just go to Google and just Google anything. <laughs> and if you're going to buy something, you, you Google gas stoves. Try it. Next couple of days, you're going to start getting ads for gas stoves right. or for Best Buy or for Home Depot appliances. Google, if you use Gmail, they read your mail. Yeah. They have bots that go in there and pick out keywords so they can target you for advertising. Is there a they're, weird thing the, about they're that? They're the biggest, but they're not the worst. Is it wrong that I almost feel special that they're reading my stuff? Because I always feel like no one reads anything I write. <laughs> Someone cares. Someone's paying attention. Oh 
<laughs> it's good to know I'm not alone. How about how about you personally, John? Like, uh, like, uh, what are you what are you up to in 2020? How are you keeping busy? Oh, I don't know. Let's see. What am I doing? I don't know. I have my my hobby is is airplanes. I'm a pilot, mm-hmm. and I love airplanes. What's the ultimate social distance? Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's nice. You can go up in an airplane and go anywhere. In fact, yeah. for Christmas, um, I was thinking of going down to North Carolina to visit uh, some friends of mine. And I just hop in my plane and in four and a half, four hours. I was saying this the other day. That's great. We had Ernie Bach on our show and he has a plane as well. But like, you know, I I can't go and travel and do anything fun because I'm scared of the outside world. But you could just go in your plane and fly out to wherever you want to go. And there's got to be some form of like liberation and feeling that like at the end of the day, screw this. I could get into my tail dragger. The winds are fine. I'm out. There is, but the problem now is there's so much COVID everywhere. Everywhere except certain states have a two-week period where you can If I fly out of Massachusetts, if I go to Vermont, I am supposed to isolate for two weeks mm-hmm. or one week with a COVID test that comes out negative at the end of one week. Mm-hmm. And then if I want to come back to Massachusetts, it's the same thing. And if I don't and don't fill out the form, it's a $500 a day fine. Yep. So, yeah. you know, we're living in this. So, yeah, is it worth it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, until COVID. Well, we have to cut off our nose to spite our faces. And that's literally what's happening because people's noses are outside of the damn mask. <laughs> and because here's the thing, John, we're like alcoholics. All right. That like we, we get to the 87th day. And we're like, you know what? We're almost at 90. I almost got that chip. Whatever. Screw it. Let's have some Svetka. And then the next thing you know, it's all over again. And that's why they're going to basically declare martial law and say, you know, they have signs on on the highway that say, if you're in a car with someone that's not of your family, wear a mask. And the fact that we have to say that so obviously and blatantly to people because we're not doing what we need to to stop this, like New Zealand. Or all these other countries that have been like fine for a while because we're America. Because anything that anyone smart tells us, we go, well, we're, we're rebels. The Sex Pistols, fuck that. That's not punk. And we just don't do it. And it's gotten to the point where they'd have to fine you $500 a day. Not because of you, but because of the idiots that are spreading this like the outbreak monkey. And they don't, they don't realize what they're doing because they're, they're ignorant of how... Or, or the people who say that... There's no such thing. COVID is, it's like the flu. I mean, 300,000 people are dead. That's the number. The flu normally is 27,000. If you go back to 1918, when we had a similar pandemic, 600,000 people died. But in 1917, the population of the United States was something like 40 million. Now well, it's three hundred million. <laughs> see, I've been saying okay, okay. So they've been drawing this parallel to the swine flu of nineteen eighteen, and I've been saying since day one, this already happened. We know what happens. They had the litmus test. Uh, I forget was it Philadelphia versus Detroit or something like that. And one, one, um, Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, and one of them was totally did very well and one of them was had the highest level of morbidity because they had a parade and like that's what's happening now and the fact that yeah. people don't want to learn about history and actually just look at science you know zeros and ones numbers don't lie they just don't lie and people don't realize that they want to tell you there's some sort of conspiracy in the fact that zero zero one is one and two is two you're right, but it, it's not just they don't want to learn. It's that they get their news from Facebook. And yeah. all their Facebook friends and the big echo chamber that Facebook feeds you people who are like-minded to you. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a new form of yellow journalism. It's, don't you think, Siobhan? Like, it's a new form of yellow journalism through 100%. memes. Through yeah. meme. It's meme-ology. Yeah. <laughs> Memeology, yeah. <laughs> well, because literally that's how people get their rhetoric through. Because I'll give you an example. One of my friends posts when that remember that child uh, who was killed by an African American, but they apprehended him immediately or whatever. And they had obviously what was going on, um, you know, with someone being kneeled on on the neck. All right. And they tried drawing a parallel to that to a guy that's actually in jail that's going to face the full repercussions versus someone yeah. that's they're just trying to, they're trying to get the superficial but on, reaction but they had the child and yeah. one of my friends posted a meme with the child on it and said all lives matter and they didn't realize what all lives matter actually stood for 
But I called them out of that and I said, listen, go and ask any of your friends of color or any ethnicity if all lives matter doesn't offend them, just the words. And she was like, no, but it's about Julian. It's about this child. I'm like, no, it's about you being an empty vessel, posting a meme, (laughs) thinking you're talking about a child while you're spreading someone else's hate. So do you think that there's going to be any way to to tilt the scale back to a more unified uh, information source or are we just screwed now? Everyone's just going to go deeper and deeper into their own holes. I, yeah, I really don't know. I mean, that's a loaded question. I, I would hope so, but I'm not sure. It just seems that people are getting more and more removed from yeah. reality <laughs> and like reliable information and just not seeking yeah, out I don't, like I real don't see information. a way back. So I just, yeah. John, you're from an infora- information highway that was radio at one point, which was only <laughs> the people's only channel. What do you think about this? Do you think that people are ever going to get back on track from this divisiveness? Let's go back <clears throat> 200 and. Uh, what was it, 275 years to 1776, 1780, when the United States was being formed. <clears throat> How'd you get your news then? From your neighbor, from your friend, somebody heard. Some, it's the same thing. So we're really going back in time when you get your news from Facebook in the echo chamber, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, you're, and then rumors start and then they expand. And then it gets worse and worse and people get inflamed and that's when you have the results that you have now. But where's it going to end up? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe people will become more sensitized to how phony this news is. Yeah. And stop with the conspiracy theories and that there's this deep state running the country. The deep state is all the power mongers and the wealthy who pour their money into political campaigns to support their way of life to the detriment of the middle class. We've lost the middle class and that's not healthy at all. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. I keep listening to John and thinking to myself that if he was just the voice of my GPS, I'd always get to places on time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of John. You can talk about anything. I literally just like listening to his, he he could even be like, hey, we're going down. Uh, In fact, we actually one time, John is a pilot as he aforementioned and we went flying, and the first time we went flying, he was like, I don't think my alternator is working. And like, we're in air, and I'm like, is that bad? He's like, yeah, I don't think, I don't think it'd be good to do a long flight like this. I'm like, we should probably win. Yeah, that's a good idea. Remember that, John? Remember no. that time we took off? And- but a plane doesn't use an alternator to rock the engine. So well, okay, so matter. what was the, well, okay, fine. This was, was one of, this was one of Ben's trips that he had at some point that. <laughs> no, that happened. We literally took off. And he's like, this thing's not working properly. We have to land now. Well, oh, well. It, clearly you guys landed. So that's good. We did it, land. It worked up. We're here to tell about it. <laughs> exactly. And let's land back in the actual topic of this podcast, which is John. <laughs> yeah. What are we talking about? Well, so I, I mean, I'm going to say that I personally just watched because Ben told me about it, the um, documentary Life on the V, because, I, you know, obviously we've met before in person, I think once. But, you know, I really didn't know a whole lot about your background. And you're clearly a legend, not just in radio, but in TV. You're a pioneer of music, discovering people, being an entrepreneur. So maybe just for the listeners that don't know who you are, if there are any. Maybe you can just talk a little bit about, you know, how you got Take into it radio. You what- There's millions of listeners right now. We're not even live, but they're listening. Google's <laughs> listening right now. Google is listening right now. No, but it's interesting to me because, you know, I think it's, I don't want to say it's rare, but I think it's unusual to meet someone that like has a passion so early on, um, you know, that kind of knows the direction they want to go into and are so entrepreneurial. So maybe you can talk about like how you got started for anyone that might not know your history. Well, talking about myself <laughs> is, uh, you know, a double-edged sword. Of course, <laughs> I'd like to talk about me, <laughs> but I hate to talk about me. Um, I was very lucky Was I was a kid. I was brought up by two incredible parents. Um, my mom was more incredible in many ways than my dad. My dad was very strict and stoic, but my mother was a million possibilities. You can be anything you want to be. You can do what you want to do. So I learned at an early age to differentiate between what I thought was right and what I thought I didn't understand. There were so many things in life as a child, I'd look at, I'll say, well, they say it's this way, but that doesn't make any sense. I mean, uh, you know, for instance, religion. I was brought up a Unitarian, which is a sort of Christian, but 
I couldn't figure out, well, if Jesus is supposed to be a Lord, what's a Lord? <laughs> and who's God? And how do they always, the son of God? Well, what does that mean? Is he some guy running around up in the sky? Well, where does he live on a planet? I, I, I couldn't put any of it together. And brought to you by Philosophy 101. Huh? I said brought to you by Philosophy 101. Right, but as, as children, if we if we learn, if we're taught, we teach our children to open their minds and think, mm-hmm. and 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 evaluate things for our own decision. Uh, you know, my mother said to me, "If you ever believe something is right, it's right. Don't let people talk you out of it." So, at an early age, I learned to follow that that I loved, and I always believed if I loved something and followed it, I'd do better at that than I would doing something I didn't love. Mm-hmm. No, no diss on on ditch diggers, but uh, you know, digging ditches was nothing that I would enjoy. <laughs> but I did enjoy music, and I enjoyed electronics, and I enjoyed radio, and I was sort of like I was my oldest sibling. With I had two sisters, ten and fourteen years older than me, so I was like this little blonde-haired, curly-haired kid that they all paid attention to. So I loved being the entertainer and the center of attention. So I got that from that. So uh-huh. as I grew up, I just was pursuing the things I loved. And that's all I've ever done. I've never tried to make money. I've never tried to, to do anything for any reason that I just thought it was really fun and interesting to do. And the name of my book is The Harmony of Parts. Mm-hmm. But you take what I just said and, and put that together with the fact that I've enjoyed some success in life and financially and all that, it's because of the harmony of parts. It's that everything in my life has pretty well fit together. And the more I could get it to fit together, the more power I had to become. Well, hold on. I actually have my copy of the harmony of parts because when I, I first met you, I'd heard about you for, for 20 years vicariously through one of our friends. And we were actually at a Joe Perry show and, um, I, I saw, I, I heard your voice and I went and introduced myself because I'm like, I got to know this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, hi, I'm John Garabedian. I'm like, I'm oh. Benny Goodman. And we kind of like had made this mental connection because our friend Scott had been speaking of the other person for so long. And Scott had told me, before you go meet John, read his book, The Harmony of Parts. And the, my favorite part of it, because I go at the pictures. Is, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, have you, have you yet read it? Well, is, we'll the, get, is the million we'll dollar question. That. We'll get to that. There's an epilogue, okay, which means the end of the book. That you're going to read for the first time right now no, live. No, 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 no. But what it is, it's, it's all kidding. the pictures of all the people that John has either worked with, broke, or has come on his show. And I'm just going to read some of them off the top of my head. Uh, Peter Frampton, Billy Joel, Janet Jackson, Liza Minnelli, Tiny, Tiny Tim, Vanilla Ice, Cher, Donna Summer, Sinead O'Connor, TLC, John Bon Jovi, Matchbox 20, Alicia Keys, Enrique Iglesias, Mariah Carey, Lionel, Richie, Gwen Stefani, Paul Oakenfold, Christina Aguilera. Like, it's literally like if I slam poetry this. And Kanye West, don't forget. I mean, there's so <laughs> yes. many more. <laughs> The, but what people don't understand That's just the shortlist, yeah. In knowing you, I found out that you also were uh, the guy that announced all the bands at the Boston Garden. Yeah. So there's all of these pop stars, but then I'm like, okay, well, how about Jim Morrison? And yeah. then you told me a story about, why don't you tell us the Jim Morrison story? Because I try to stump him like, oh, well, you never met Jim Morrison. And then he says. Yeah, <clears throat> I am to Jim two Jim Morrison shows. Uh, one night at the old Boston Arena over by Northeastern on Huntington Ave, and uh, we were in the uh, in the back in the manager's office or something, hanging out beforehand. And he Just was hanging. He was quite a drinker. He like he drank Budweiser. Yeah. Uh, unlike the pictures you saw of him, where he's this lean, handsome, striking figure, he was getting paunchy and fat faced. <laughs> And uh, but still, you know, easygoing and kind of. <laughs> he went on st- the oh, BB King was the opening act. What a wonderful man he was. BB was just just jolly and warm and. He's got like thirty six kids, so something's cool about him. Yeah, yeah, no, and uh, guitar player with Lucille. He. <laughs> um, so Jim Morrison does the first show, and it was okay. And he's still drinking his Budweiser. I mean. You know, we're talking continuous Budweiser. Second show, 
They come out, he does some songs, and he's half in the bag. You can see he's wobbling. He, they, they get to some song, maybe it was, uh, you know, uh, what, what is it? Uh, I forget. Anyway, he climbs up on the Altic voice of the theater speaker. These are these, you know, six foot high, huge folded horn speakers that are on the, either side of the stage. Folded horns. And he's up there. And he lies down and he passes out. Oh, God. <laughs> Everyone's saying, is this an act or is this real? And I'm looking, I'm saying, this has got to be an act. He's putting on, he passed out. Oh, meanwhile, uh, Robbie Krieger and the band is going on. They're playing, John, uh, what's his name? The, John know. Densmore. Yeah, Densmore. Ray so, Manzarek. You know, then all of a sudden he lifts his head up. <laughs> lifts his head up. Woo! The crowd is yeah, Jim. <laughs> then he kind of works his way down. He goes out on the middle of the stage and he's got the mic on a mic stand. And he picks the mic stand up and starts swinging it around. And this thing has, you know, a foot lead or cast iron. Yeah, base sure. On it. If he lets go and that goes into the orchestra, someone's going to get hurt or killed. So the stage <laughs> has running out and grab the mics. Oh, goodness. That's my Jim Morrison story. <laughs> <laughs> but also on the back of the harmony of parts, I have a question for you because there's, it says from Taylor Swift, there, there's, you know, they have all the different quotes on the back. And she says that you are the best interviewer on earth. Do you trust Taylor Swift? Well, when I interviewed her, that was, I mean, she said that that was eight, nine years ago. And she was a lot younger then. She was a lot less powerful then and had a lot less of a uh, control, a controlling uh, personality. Mm -hmm. She has taken control of her whole career and taken control. And you can see it. And everything she does. I mean, she really, she does everything. And she's very smart. But I think people, she'd be a lot more likable if she weren't that way. Because. Weren't smart? No, weren't control. Wow, the control, yeah. through is she's a little strict. When you're a performer, people come to see you having fun. Mm-hmm. Being mm-hmm. laid back and loose like Jim Morrison. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she needs to pass she out some speakers. She over that way anymore. She comes over as a semi-bitch. <laughs> oh, no, she does, and she's a lot. She's very talented. She's a great songwriter, but like a lot of artists who turn thirty years old, I don't even know how old she is. How okay? How old? Hey Siri, how old is Taylor she's Swift? She's born in nineteen eighty nine. Remember, Max Martin made her album for her. She's thirty years old. Thirty years okay. old. See that? All right. So she's yeah, my age, younger. So when you get to be thirty years old, you no longer have the angst you did when you were fifteen when she was a young songwriter in Nashville writing for RCA. You no longer have all the wonderment of the world and discovering and you're writing these poems almost like your diary, which is how her songwriter songwriting talents were unfolded. And they're brilliant. Her songwriting is brilliant. Mm-hmm. But now you're becoming a mature woman and you know the audience for music is younger mm-hmm. and you're writing stuff for people who are older and those people are not the big music consumers. So, so, John, you don't necessarily think it was a good idea from her going from writing from her diary to having a Swedish old guy with a beard and long hair write for her? Well, Max Martin, because you told me, you're the one that told me that all the great producers are from Sweden. And since I've I, I found that out, all, but, but there's, um, okay, not all of them, but there's Sweden, the country as a whole, have put such an emphasis on music. That's true. You find out Red One, you know, like all these guys, like you have David Guetta. Like, I mean, I, I, I should know that his name's David Guetta, but all these guys are from Sweden. And Max Martin, who, if you guys don't know, has written songs for Britney Spears, TLC, Backstreet mm-hmm. Boys, and like the list goes on. But and like, think, you know. yeah, ta- but Taylor Swift went from writing her own songs to having a Swedish guy that looks kind of like Dimebag Daryl writing <laughs> tunes for her about being a woman. Well, I'm sure she wrote the words, but it's like Elton John and Bernie Toppin. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. She needs inspiration to make the music relevant to today. And, you know, not not to blow up Ernie Bach again, but his... <laughs> but let's his, do it. No, but his music emphasis in schools is correct. That's why Sweden produces so much great music, because in the schools, music is such an integral part of what they, they teach the kids, which, as you know, as a musician, it teaches you a different way to think and conceptualize. Absolutely. Which is why when you get rid of it in our schools, it's terrible, because now kids become just robots, and mm-hmm. everything becomes digital instead of you know, analog, the way musicians think. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, yeah, the creative and the analytical work together in so many ways. I completely agree. Yeah, I mean, my mom grew up in Europe, and that's something that she laments all the time. You know, I mean, I luckily studied music growing up, as a lot of us did. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely missing in your standard public education here. Yeah, you have to, you have to seek it out on your own, um, at least like where, where I grew up. You know, it, it, they'd, they'd give you the recorder in second grade and say, here, play hot cross buns. But after that, if you didn't actively go and seek out, you know. John broke that, that song. Did you know that? Yeah, John broke. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got the gold, no, but the anybody doesn't know about music drives us as Ernie Bach's, you know, pet charity. Yeah. And it does a wonderful thing, providing instruments for kids in school. Well, when he came on the show, he, he was telling us how he was giving out 700 ukuleles. And the thing is, that's great. And John, you've seen this too, is that Ernie goes himself and is handing out, it's like, he's like the Oprah of instruments. He's like, Santa everybody, Claus. <laughs> everybody gets a recorder. Everybody gets a ukulele. And he, he's always excited and stoked. Like it's his first time ever seeing children excited about you music, know, but it's it, always the first time. He is such a ham. But he is so good at it. He is so a honey-baked ham. He should be a host of a TV show, or a, because he's so interesting. I mean, yeah. I love Ernie. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I just love seeing. So another thing I, I read on the back of this book, which leads to my all-time favorite John Garabedian story, and there's so many because John, I, I have to thank you because. John has become one of my true friends and confidants and, you know, being in entertainment, um, having a sounding board like someone like John. John, and I love John because John's in his, I don't want to say how old he is because he doesn't look as old as he actually is by any means. <laughs> and he'll tell you himself, look at his hands. They look like a, a young child's. Yeah, they're perfect. No wrinkles, nothing. But uh, he always has his finger, uh, finger on the pulse. Going I remember when, Car- when Cardi B came out. I was like, what is this crap? Because I was a DJ working weddings and whatnot. And John's like, you got to listen to this Cardi B. She's got something special. And oh, she's and he's like, got Watch. it, yeah. yeah but, but you've done that for so long. I remember going in your studio and you're playing Sandstorm by Darude. And if you know that song, just like, oh, yeah, go, yeah. It's like this, the form of the first knows EDM. It, yeah. Everyone knows it. But John just decided back in 1999 or 2000, whatever it was, oh, we should just have this weird Darude band be, and he makes it number one. You, you are responsible for so many songs, John. How, how did you, can you talk to us about some songs that maybe people didn't know? Because I walked around your house and I found even out the, the Star Wars song, the, the, the Cantina song from Star Wars. Wasn't it you that you, I saw a record on your wall because of it. Yeah, well, they all happen different ways and I've been doing it my whole career. The whole idea is you've got to, first of all, you have a platform so you can reach enough people to make it happen. Um, a great story is uh, Won't Get Fooled Again by The Who. The Who had not had a hit since 1966, um, which was, I, I think I can see for miles. One, one of those songs, Happy Jack, one of those. Anyway, they were dead. And in 1971, I was program director of a station in Boston, which was called WMEX. And um, and I did the afternoon show. And uh, so Don Law, who... Legend in Boston back then, and uh, I guess now is retired or heavily involved. He called me up one day. He said, "I've got a, a, a tape from a friend of mine, Peter Rudge, who manages the Who, and they've got a new album, and he wanted me to uh, play it for you and, and, and to let him know if you think there's anything to it, if it's something that would work on the radio, because I'd already been, broken a bunch of hits that year uh, in Boston." So we sent somebody, his secretary, over with this little five-inch reel of tape, and I put it on, and on came Won't Get Fooled Again. And I went, this is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I called, can I play this on the air now? He yeah. said, yeah, go ahead. 
it wasn't even out as a record. So <laughs> on it went. And I played it three times in four hours. The phone started lighting up. They request because we, we track requests back then. Unlike 99% of radio stations that say they track oh, requests, yeah. you don't. They don't. They throw them out the window. Google is. Okay, we'll get to it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That was my job for a while. <laughs> yeah. So, but we actually had two people on the phones who tabulate them. It became the number one most requested song. And then, you know, the label got all excited and boom, boom, and out it came. And The Who had a huge hit, followed by Baba O'Reilly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, Beyond Behind Blue Eyes and blah, 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 blah. So that was back then. So what do you want to know about 2020? Well, well, well I was going to say, before we <laughs> get to 2020, was- there was Darude, but the, also my favorite story, because you've made a lot of people, on the back of your book it says, Lady Gaga wrote, if it weren't, well, did it right, it was a quote. If it weren't for John Garabedian, no one in America would know who I am. And you told me a story about one of the times that you went to go see Lady Gaga. Can you please tell everyone that story? Because it literally makes me belly laugh every time I hear it through someone else's mouth. Yeah, well, um, that single was out. and That single radio, by Poker Face? No, no radio stations were playing it. I was heard it Just Dance? Huh? Was it Just Dance or Poker Face? Was just it, Dance. Poker Face. Was, oh, I have a Poker <laughs> Face story, too, that's very funny. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, let's go. We got time. <laughs> so, so I heard the song, and then I watched the video of Just Dance. And here was this girl, obviously, at 5 a.m. at some drug party in New York, and people are passed out and all this. And she's walking on people. It was really a great video, really street. And the song was so well produced. It was incredible. Uh, and that's another story about, uh, you know, Red One, who's one of the greatest producers from Sweden, pop radio. <laughs> anyway, so so that was that. The song went number one on my national radio show. Stations are calling up. What's this song? They all started. You playing. mean the open house party, John? The, the show party. that was then syndicated in 200, two, 200. Hold on. It was in 200 markets. Am I right? And it's 75. So 275, Jesus. 175. Oh, 100, okay, sorry. So there are only 260 markets. Anyway, um, so Gaga comes in to go on the show, and she brings, Gaga. I think this is her second time in. She came to Southboro, and she's in the, she says, oh, I've got my new album, and she gives me the CD, and she said, we've got to play this, this other song. This is going to be the next single. We've been playing Just Dance for like eight weeks, which is about the normal life of an average song, an average hit. I said, what's it called? She said, Poker Face. I said, okay, are there any bad words in it? She said, oh, no, no, nothing like that. Because, you know, you have to worry because the, yeah. the fine is $300,000 for a bad word. Oh, my. Multiplied times the number of stations you're on. <laughs> oh, Jesus. So you don't want to do that. So. <laughs> I put it in the machine and played Poker Face. And at the end, I'm listening. I'm going, does this sound like what I'm, I don't know. And so she's there. And when you know, people are calling up, hi, Lady Gaga, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, off she goes. Next morning, Sunday morning, I get out of the studio and I play it. And at the end, it goes, pa, 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 Poker Face. It's supposed to say that. I was hearing fa 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 fuck her face. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm that's not poker face. It's fa fa fuck her face. <laughs> John, get your brain out of the gutter. Jesus Christ. Poor Lady Gaga. Well, you know, stations are playing it. And I, every time I'd hear it on Kiss 108, it was fuck her face. And, you know, pro <laughs> FM and Providence. And it definitely, it face. definitely says Boy, that. Well, the label sent us a, a new mix. Well, it wasn't just yeah. a mix. She had to re-sing it. Yeah. And it was clearly pop, 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 poke her face. Yeah. Uh-huh. Poke her face, not poke her face. <laughs> and not fuck her face. So that's my other Lady Gaga. So the story that you're relating to. Oh, the good one. Is she was performing at the, what is now the Box Center. For the performing. The, bo- the Box the Center. Center. The music hall, as it was known back in the day, or the Metropolitan Theater. And I went backstage before the show and interviewed her. And she was, you know, lovely and blah, blah, blah. And we had a nice chat. She's very intelligent. She's very sweet. She's a really nice person. And uh, 
So afterwards, I go upstairs, and I'm with a, a friend of mine, Brian Linderland, and we're in the audience, and we're watching her, and Brian says to me, You're, he, he said, you only stay for five songs. I said, yeah, well, you know, I've heard it, blah, blah, blah. I hate <laughs> hearing songs I don't know or like. Like an artist will get up and do all their new material. Get me out of here. I want to hear the hits. I don't want to hear all this crap. This unproven stuff that is probably not a hit. I want to hear the good hooks, the great production, blah, 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 blah. So we left after like five songs. And the next song ended and she stopped and she went up. And I want to thank John Garabedian who's here tonight and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> And oh, you were already gone God. by this John, point. Stand up. <laughs> yeah. John's like, I'm out. I, I, I am standing up. I'm in line at Dunkin' Donuts, like three blocks <laughs> <Yeah>. down. <laughs> With my poker face on, that Lady Gaga's calling me yeah. out. By the way, That's we watched great. the documentary together on, on, on Lady Gaga, and she's really cool. But it was really interesting to watch it with you because you're like, oh, well, when she was like this and blah, blah, blah. And it's so fascinating because you are so in tune with people's personalities and like i mean i don't doubt taylor swift believing that you were the best interviewer on earth because i've heard your interviews and i told you know siobhan and Corey today that you probably would be more uh you know uh, you're so much more used to interviewing people than being interviewed that it's it's is it strange to have it turned around because i find you one of the most interesting people i've ever spoken with well i'm honored thank you um no, it isn't. It isn't. Um, you know, it's funny. Before we move on, I was going to say that when I was a young kid, I was always into music and I'd listen to songs. I started classical piano when I was three years old. I quit it when I was seven. I hated it. It was rigid. <laughs> um, but the, the listening to records that were hits back then and through the years, it just occurred to me that what makes a song a hit is the song and the production. And generally, the artist, unless it's an exceptional artist with great style and, and unique voicing and so forth, phrasing and all, uh, like Jim Morrison was, um, it's the production and the song. It's the, when I was a little kid, it's the orchestra, it's the, the, the arrangement. That's what makes a hit. And that's what happened to Lady Gaga. She just, like Taylor Swift, when she started out, Troy Carter was her manager. She had all these people around her that Troy had set up, and including Max uh, Max Martin, Red One, who produced her first album, produced Just Dance, produced Poker Face, produced Bad Romance, these great productions, which really showcased her, but it was the production and the song. Now Lady Gaga decides it's me. It's all me. And I'm going to write the songs and we're going to do this and that. And, and, and away she went. <laughs> and her career went right down the tubes <laughs> because she couldn't sustain it. She didn't have that production sound that everybody loved. And if you want to hear what her producer is doing today, take a look at the charts. The number two song in America is a song by a very unknown singer named Ava Max, who comes from Milwaukee called uh, Kings and Queens. It's a female empowerment song. It was produced by Red One. And if you hear it <laughs> and you say, this is Lady Gaga. Yeah. Oh, it's Red One. Interesting. It's Red One doing what Lady Gaga should have done had she not usurped him as being a huge part of her writing slash production force. That's right. And it's so, it's, it happens so often because the thing is, and we were talking about this on a previous podcast when we were talking with Steve Stevens, um, was how important is a producer actually the sound of things? And certainly in pop music, whereas with rock and roll, it's sometimes it's just capturing the moment. With pop music, it's sometimes even more important than the artists themselves because people don't realize that someone like Lady Gaga is literally oftentimes being emailed a song with some dude in Sweden altering his voice, doing all the different layers, setting something that sounds like it's almost mastered to you of the actual song that you hear on the radio, with a guy doing the voices. And there's a lot to be said for that. And people think, oh my God, she sat at home and killed herself doing this. No, she literally just imitated some dude from Sweden writing an awesome song. And a lot of people discount that. And that's why Max Martin and Red One have infinite 
number one hits because well, they it's know not, how to make a song sound. They like, know how to make a number one right. song. I interviewed Calvin Harris back when uh, "This Is What You Came For" by him was a big hit with Rihanna. He's a nobody. Well, yeah, but he's a great writer. I'm joking. I'm joking. He's joking with everybody. Calvin Harris, like he's made more money in one night DJing than I ever will in my entire lifetime, John. He never met Rihanna. She she sang her part in New York, and he was in L.A. Steve Stevens is out of here. He doesn't do that. That's way too (laughs) bougie for him. Yeah, John, you mentioned a couple times now uh, how uh, some artists' careers have have kind of transitioned over time. Taylor Swift and Lady Gaga. Is that something you've seen uh, like with with a lot of artists or are there some that have been able to kind of maintain better than others the magic formula uh, that they, they captured as a young artist? That's a great question. Um, and the answer is it goes both ways. If you want to see someone who's kept their feet on the ground and knows it's all a big pile of shit, <laughs> but, but knows how to do it right, <laughs> Uh, there's a documentary out right now on Netflix about Sean Mendez. Mm-hmm. And I met Sean when he was 16 years old. He came to my house. They brought him over with Andrew, his manager. And uh, and back then, he was very grounded and, and very humble. But he, he since he was a child, he always wanted to be a performer. And he wanted to write. He said, it says in the documentary, he said to his dad, I want to be a songwriter, too. And the dad says, well, have you ever written a song? And Sean said, no. He said, well, go write a song. See if you're any good at it. And that's how he started. Yeah. And you, and if you you really should watch the Sean Mendes documentary. You know what I did, John? Yeah. I yeah, saw Sean Mendes came up in my Facebook side profile, and he had a limited edition CD signed by him for $9.95, and I bought it. And I'm seeing them go on uh, – on eBay for like $250 because oh. I believed in Sean Mendez the second you told me that Sean Mendez was a big deal because I never knew he was a big deal. And you actually sat me down and said, watch this guy. And yeah, he was so good let's hear more about he, John's opinion on him. Well, okay. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Corey. Yes, he's a great singer. He's a great songwriter um, and a great performer. And uh, his new video for the song Wonder is just spectacular. And, you know, he, he's been working out. He runs to this cliff and the, the ocean smashes up. The song only got so high, but um, but it's, it's just a wonderful production. The whole production on the thing's fantastic. And he's still this- relatively young in his career as far as, like, uh, longevity compared to, like, the Taylor Swift or Lady Gaga. Like, do you, do you think that he has the potential to, to continue that on? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. He, I mean, he's not an Ed Sheeran. But <laughs> maybe not, there aren't many. You heart, no, you heart Ed Sheeran. And like, he really is like the, the archetype of what anyone could want to be because he makes more than the Rolling Stones and there's no one in his band. He Ed is Sheeran's the tour, band. Ed Sheeran's world tour was the greatest grossing tour in history. That he Incredible. Finished two years ago. Did you see it? I, no, I didn't. But it's just incredible to think, you know, people that put, you know, they, they create these giant productions. And to me, at least my understanding is it's mostly just him. It's I mean, in a loop that, all him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He comes out on the stage and he's there for two hours and then he leaves the stage and everyone is just going crazy. He's just a talented artist. Oh, no, I was sorry, Ben. I was just going to ask. So let me ask you from your perspective, because obviously you have a really um, unique understanding of what makes a great song. Obviously, you've been able to break a lot of people and, you know, discover what is a truly powerful song. You said production, obviously, and having a great song is what makes it successful. Is it would you attribute it to lyric or is it something about the phrasing? Is it about the actual melody in the hook? Like, I think this is something a lot of musicians would want to understand is like what in your perspective makes a great song? Well, you just listed them all. It's all okay. of those. <laughs> but nothing beats a great melody and a great lyric. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I say all the time and everyone starts laughing and nodding, especially women, is women listen to every word of a song and follow the story. Men hear, I can tell you attention to the words. I'm going to interject because I'm going to tell you why that's so, so, so true. Except it's not true for me. I was just going to say, I'm the, I'm, I fall in the men category on that. I never remember a classically trained musician, but if you go see Megadeth live and and you're in your, uh, let's say Helsinki, they're like, you got like a million black shirt dudes all going, 
If you ask me a single Queen lyric, and I've listened to every record from start to finish, I'm like, she keeps a mowing of Shannon. And I've heard that song literally 10,000, 8 million times. But I can hum every note to every Brian May guitar solo because my brain doesn't encode the same way. Whereas my mom knows all the Queen lyrics to the songs I listen to on the way to school. Right, right. And women, women visualize the, uh, the the whole story and they listen to it, which is why when a hit song comes out years ago, it was terrible because the, the people who programmed radio stations were mostly men. And mm-hmm. men don't like ballads. Men don't like soft, lovely songs generally. Um, but women love them. Women, the, the romance and the thing, they can, they, you know, project themselves into that feeling and, and that's what it does for them, where men are just bored by it. They want to hear boom, 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 boom. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably a bunch of women going, you're going, you're, you're totally polarizing this too much. But the funny part is, if you were wrong, you're, you wouldn't be so successful still programming radio stations, still doing what you're doing. And in fact, I don't think you saw it earlier, but John is still doing it with your party live line, which I have framed on my wall because as if you have not done... If you hadn't made your own radio station, if you hadn't done your own 24-hour music television station, if you hadn't become a pilot, if you hadn't had three houses, which one you built pretty much from the ground up, if you hadn't done all these things, plus if it it wasn't enough, you're like, hey, why don't I start something new? Yeah, because that's the challenge in life. I love building things. I love building them up and seeing how they are, then moving on, building something else. But so, what are you doing now? I mean, I have party live line right here. Can you tell us, like, what's the premise behind this and why well, now? Well, are you still year, doing this? As I, I've always looked into the future, um, and as I saw the future of radio, this is 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago. I said, you know, it's radio is going to become a national medium. It's not going to be all local disc jockeys because there's only so much talent and there's only so much great talent. And so I got into that. That's why I started Open House Party, because on the weekends, there was no talent. And, uh, you know, we go on these stations that were successful, and we get higher ratings than the stations that carried us. <laughs> um, so back last year, um, radio was, was cutting their employment ranks, yeah. mostly iHeart. iHeart was having these RIFs, Reduction in Force, Mm-hmm. And yeah. they'd have one and they let go 50 people and 100 people and all these career people. And I'm going, wow, this is this is the change. It's finally coming. I, I thought it should happen 10 years ago, but it didn't. Because the people who run radio. Off with their heads. Yeah, I, I, missed, that by, I missed that are by a year. Imaginative. They're mostly wow. salespeople who became managers. So all they care mm-hmm. about is sales. Or bass players. The product, yeah, yeah, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> no, Corey literally <laughs> left WBZ where he was a professional I, in radio to be a bass player. He lied to everyone through the intro. I just want everyone to know. Yeah, a year after I left radio, they eliminated um, my entire department and shit and, wow. and, and, and uh, combined a bunch of radio stations in Boston. Oh, you mean Sucked. the merger where Entercom, Beasley, iHeart? Yeah, so I, I was at, I was at I was with CBS Radio. They got bought out, uh, and then uh, WBZ went to to iHeart, and then you know now it's just been chop, 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 chop. And now WBZ and WRKL literally come from the same studio. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Well, and I wanted to talk to you about this because I know some of us have seen this documentary, but you made me watch the David Foster documentary, and. For yeah, those that don't know that. who David Foster is, one thing that you and David Foster have in common is you are both relentless and never give up and always have things going on. Like, I walk into your house, there's all these lights on the wall. You're like, Benny, these are the weather patterns going over Massachusetts live right now. Green means this and blue means, and red's bad. Well, that's the whole like, East Coast, actually. I know it is, because you told me. It's like, an LED for every, <laughs> every airport, and it's yellow, I mean, it's green, blue, Red, but the parallels purple. between a guy like because because the the whole documentary and not to spoil the thing but, but it's, it's basically how it starts is david foster has done gajillions of things sold tons of records but can he make it on broadway after all of this and that's kind of how i feel like you could have been in 1985 you could have just been like i'm done with this you know what v66 
I've done my thing. But then you're like, I'm going to do another radio station. I'm going to start this and that. And, and like, it's literally never ending. And then when I walk into your house, like I said, you're telling me live weather patterns at all yes, times. But that's what comes down to doing what you love. <laughs> Nobody says it better than Steve Jobs. Uh, and anybody watching this would be very smart to immediately write down Steve Jobs, Stanford University. One of the greatest speeches ever. Yeah. You yeah. put, you, it's, it's, it's the commencement speech at Stanford, and he talks about following your dreams. And he talks about the fact that you can't follow the dots. You can't, you know, mm -hmm. put that down ahead of time. You can only follow your dreams, and then what happens behind you will be the story of your life. Absolutely. And and just kind of to continue with what we started, um, you know, which is along to these lines. What we started. Is the, you want, why don't you talk about the uh, Party Live line a little bit and, and how that's that came to be and, and how that's your like kind of latest creation that you've been building? Well, that's <clears throat> sort of. Yeah, sort of. Um, I own four radio stations on Cape Cod, mm -hmm. <clears throat> which I think are great radio stations. Um, John, why would you ever say they were bad radio stations? <laughs> because well, then you're going to derail him again. Bad, but I think they're great. They really are. We have a great crew down there, and they they do awesome work. I've had the same crew there for eight years. Nobody's changed. Yes. We have the same people. Everybody's yeah. happy. They work together. It's it's just nice. No drama. But um, to Corey's point, which is a continuation of what I was saying earlier, all of a sudden we have COVID. And by March, they order all the businesses shut, all the restaurants shut down. You can't go anywhere. You can't buy anything. Well, if all your car dealers, everybody, if all your advertisers are closed, guess what? They're not going to run ads saying, come on down. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So all of a sudden, everybody in radio's revenues just went off a cliff. We're talking 80, 90% of your revenue gone in March and April. So these big companies like iHeart, which just came out of bankruptcy and wiped out $14 billion worth of money they owed people that is now, the court said, okay, you don't owe it anymore. Now they only own, owe 6 billion, but they have interest payments that are due. And if they don't make those, they're gonna be back in bankruptcy court again. So what are they doing? They've set up what they call our Centers of excellence. Talk about a bullshit term. <laughs> Let's put some lipstick on the pig. <laughs> what they are is a place where they have, instead of every radio station having a music department that decides for Boston, for instance, what songs to play, or Manchester, New Hampshire, or Duluth, Minnesota, or whatever, we're all going to have it happen from one place. And we're going to have of four people who'll do 50 radio stations in our center of excellence. Instead of having a production department to produce the commercials for our local advertisers in each radio station and customize mm -hmm. them, we're going to have a center of excellence where they'll just crank it out like a big factory. Like an assembly line. Goodness. Yeah. That's what they've done. One size fits then all. For disc jockeys, they take a disc jockey. The disc jockey does a live show for four or five hours, and that show goes out to 20 radio stations. And then before the disc jockey goes on the air, he or she sits down and records local liners. Don't forget the big parade tomorrow in Duluth. Yeah. And, uh, and they send those out to each station. So the station, the music ends. Hey, don't forget the music Duluth on Y22. <laughs> and, you know, that's what it becomes this machine. And it sounds like it. And what happens is the programming on radio sounds like shit. It's total shit. And in a period where Spotify, Pandora, Apple Music, Yahoo, YouTube, where that's where people are going for their music, young people particularly, radio has no relevance. Why would I listen to music on a media that gives me 12 minutes of 14 minutes of commercials every hour? Mm -hmm. Some guy talking about nothing I give a shit about. Why would I listen to that when I can listen to all my favorite songs or all my favorite artists all together? And what is missing is what radio has more than any other medium. Companionship, 
The ability yes. to form a bond with the listener, talk to the listener, be a companion, tell a joke, talk about the music, enhance that new music that nobody knows what it is. Here's a new song from the weekend, just came out, blah, blah, blah. How do you like his new look? Have a little contest, give away a prize, have some fun. That's what makes radio great. That's what makes radio better than Spotify, Pandora, YouTube, Apple Music, blah, 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 blah. And because of these cutbacks, which iHeart is doing, it, all the, the essence of that is gone. Yeah. Yeah. And the listenership shows it. Teen, mm -hmm. 18 to 24-year-olds, 25 to 30-year-olds, their time spent listening to radio is down, way down. And now when you get automobiles where on the screen, like on my Tesla, I can put on my favorite stations on Sirius XM. Oh, I want to listen to BPM. I want to listen to Willie's House or Elvis Presley or, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, dance music or, or you know, a rock channel from from uh, XM, Sirius XM. There, it's just a button. Yeah. It's no more. You have to go get this special little radio. It's all right there. And that's going to hurt radio more unless radio wakes up. So my mission, because I think I'm pretty good at it, is creating <laughs> entertaining radio, which is very, very difficult. It's a science and it's an art. And it's a lost art that people in radio today don't know how to create because they've never heard it. Young people who get into radio, which these days are very few, they've never heard that kind of radio. So... At the beginning of this year, as iHeart laid off hundreds of people and Cumulus laid off people and Intercom, which uh, in Boston was laying people off, but none so many as iHeart, who have the largest number of stations, 850. Mm. I went, there is a need for this. And if you put this up against that kind of terrible programming, this will prevail. And eventually the this, this, the ratings will show it and prove that what I'm doing is correct, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I'm doing it. So Party Live Line is a show that is created, which is live. Most radio today that comes from the centers of excellence <laughs> is either recorded with voice tracks yep. where the disc jockey records the talk parts, you know, whoom, FTPs them out to all the stations and the Mm -hmm. computer inserts them with nothing human about it. Yeah. Or they do a little bit of live talk of throughout the hour, maybe three to four times an hour. And the rest of it is these, don't forget the parade tomorrow in Duluth. Yeah. <laughs> so you know what? We know what yeah, radio is severely missing yeah. that I totally love. So what John's not telling you is that he's doing this. So his, his whole, first off, your archetype for life is been 20 you are like the Nostradamus for 2020 because <laughs> you live in Southboro uh, Massachusetts and people thought you were in Boston right they think you're in Boston they but when thought all it was these New York they thought yeah. it was in Hollywood yeah so when they so when they th so when Katy Perry comes to town when Lady Gaga comes to town when when all these people come to town they're like oh yeah he's 10 minutes from the airport no he's not He's like <laughs> all, almost all the way to Worcester. He's like 45, 50 no, minutes no, away. No, no. Is anyone really 10 minutes, minutes from the airport? The airport from my house. No problem. The point is, is that you have your studio at your own house right. and that you're using that. And, and he always used to have people come to him. And now you have that same studio that everyone heard in 175 markets. And you have your new DJ Mason. And what he's doing also is an old radio thing where he'll take live calls and then mash it up and edit it perfectly and make it funny and, or, or take out the us and the uh, and the swears or whatever craziness he needs to do to make it real. And to see somebody actually sit there, take the call, cut it up, make it that, then call the right thing, make a, a live track, boom, and put it on the radio. That is an art of production that people don't realize. And seeing someone like Mason, who is, what is he, 18, 19 years old? 19. Follow your lead. Well, and that, do that. again, Benny, that's where you get back to the harmony of parts. Mason is a star, and he's phenomenal. And the reason he's so good <laughs> is because when he was, he didn't care about radio when he was 11 years old mm -hmm. until he heard Open House Party, which was my show. <clears throat> and I'm not 
bragging about me. I'm talking about a kind of radio. Audience participation, completely interactive, driven by listeners. The music programmed from live requests that people are calling in, tabulated on Open House Party's case for what they wanted to hear on a Saturday night. Not well, people would sit there by the phones trying to get through to talk to Adam Levine. I remember. Right. I remember being like in 2000, you had Maroon 5 on and our mutual friend Scott was like, oh yeah, they're going to be on. And you had this fantastic interview breaking this new band. And like, I tried calling. I tried calling to get through and be like, oh man, can I talk to this new band? And like now Maroon 5, you know, uh, you know, they well, that's, had that's, Cardi that's, B that's, on their song. But that's what we did was create charisma. Charisma Correct. is an excitement and energy. There's something going on that if you don't listen, you feel you're going to miss it. So Mason grew up listening to this. He became a super fan of Open House Party. And he was calling. You should have taken lessons on how to get through on the phone from him. He was calling every week <laughs> like this little kid. Hey, can I hear? And then as he got wow. older, when he was 15, 16, he got a job working weekends at a little station in Appleton, Wisconsin, which is where he's from. Um, and then he got a job doing DJing. First, he was running the photo booth, but he worked his way up to DJing for Extreme Entertainment, which is the largest uh, party DJ service in Wisconsin. So they were doing, you know, two, three weddings and parties every weekend. He made a lot of money, too, um, and got very good at it and learned what crowds react to. There's nothing like being a DJ of a well, lot it's of fun, it's, it's funny because Mason and I will go, because you always know what songs are good and, and you'll sometimes be like, Ciara, one, two step. It's still resonating with people. I'm like, that's the song? No, it's Ciara, one, two step. But then Mason and I will be like, well, how about Mr. Brightside by The Killers? And you're like, oh, uh, well, that's not one. It's one you know, but like we'll say something or um, Stacy's mom. You're, I said, you could play that at any wedding or whatever. And Mason's like, yeah. And you're like, that that's the one. And you kind of look like, but when you're in front of a crowd and Mason has this in spades, you, well, you, you learn just learn. Being, you learn you're it. a DJ. You know that. when you, You're fear driven. You, you've got to keep them on the floor. And if they yeah. all go and sit down, you know you're. Right. You, you learn the secret weapons. Living. You get you get the weapons. <laughs> um, hey, guys. So we're, we're coming up on the end of our first hour here. I know we have a ton more to dive into. I know. Uh, there's so more. much stuff. Yeah. So, John, will you stick around? Will you stick around and talk to us just a little bit more and impart some of your wisdom? Because ben, I think we all need to learn. Anything. <laughs> oh, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> yeah, he knows better. He'll retract it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you've been 2020. Thank you, John Garabedian. Check out Party Live Line with Mason, who's literally not a future star. He's a current star that you guys just don't know about yet, maybe. But if you don't, listen to Party Live Line. And in the meantime... Yeah, the website, to listen online, it's download the app for Y101 Cape Cod. Y101 Cape Cod. It's a little purple icon available on Android and uh, iPhone. Or listen, if you're on Cape Cod, listen to Y101. Or if you're in cool. uh, Nebraska, listen to uh, whatever it is, Hits 1067. And if you're in Muscle Shoals, I mean, it's it's, it's exploding all over the country. We get a lot of downloads in India. So as long did as they John can find Gar it Did John Garabedian just give us a tag? That's freaking awesome. <laughs> we just got open house party on 2020. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, stick around for episode two coming up later this week. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard.